Hello, friends. Welcome to the ATC Double Cut. I am back with Chris Tritabaugh, the golf course superintendent from Hazeltine National Golf Club. And Chris, you've been on the show a number of times now. I'm losing track. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have track of how many times I'm sort of like the Don Rickles, like Don Rickles was on the, the tonight show with Johnny Carson over a hundred times, I think. And, uh, <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm sort of like Don Rickles to your, uh, Johnny Carson. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. Cause you've been on, uh, here on the ATC double cut where we go over some of the ATC blog posts and give them a, uh, talking about, give them a double cut treatment. Uh, and then you've also been on the office hours, which we generally do as a live stream, you've been on that a few times also. So, um, yeah, welcome, welcome back. Uh, I'm so glad that we have a chance to talk about something that's related to what we always seem to be talking about, which is managing high performance putting surfaces, especially. Well, it's a it's a great topic, and um, you know, something you and I are both really passionate about, and we spend a lot of time talking about on the side and. And I think it's an interesting topic and, and one worth discussing. So, And this one, I'm going to go ahead and introduce the blog post, which you'll find at AsianTurfGrass.com. It's, it's a recent blog post that I wrote last week, and it has the title, uh, I was surprised to read this about nitrogen coring and sand top dressing. And this is a, a post that I wrote last week, and it... Uh, it starts off with something very straightforward. It's a quote from a book, actually, from, from this book, the, um, the fourth edition of the Compendium of Turfgrass Diseases, which is a book that, that I think is superb. It lists all the turfgrass diseases, and it's divided into sections, which I wrote about in the blog post. Uh, for each disease, there are sections uh, such as symptoms and signs, causal agents, disease cycle, epidemiology, management of the disease, and then selected references. And I was, uh, I, I bought this book almost a year ago, and the shipping to Thailand was well over $100. And I said, I'm not going to pay more for shipping than I'm going to pay for the book. So I left it, uh, I had it shipped to a relative's uh, in the United States. And then on a recent trip to North America, my brother came over to uh, Victoria, British Columbia, and he had this book with him. Uh, my aunt had transferred it to my brother, and then my brother <laughs> flew over with it to Victoria, and I was able to get it. And it was still in its packaging. And I brought it back to Thailand and opened it. And I flipped it open. And Chris, I was surprised. I was really surprised at what I read because the book has a publication date of 2023. And yet it's when recent, I read... It's a recent publication. It's right, because I've, um, I've got here um, the... This is the third edition, the Compendium of Turfgrass Diseases, third edition, um, which I've had for many, many years. This one was published in... Third edition is 2005. So this, it was time for an update. There's been all kinds of research and developments and new disease names and all kinds of stuff that's happened since 2005. So this one, the fourth edition, I was so glad to read it and to have it. And, and everything's updated. And, and yet it's, so it's recent, it's published in 2013. And 
I was surprised to read in 2000, or not 2013, 2023. And I'll just ask you before I read the quote from the blog post, Chris, uh, how much nitrogen do you did you apply on creeping bent grass potting greens last year? I think we were just under three quarters of a pound for the year on the okay. greens. So, and so that's not very much. That's something not like very much. That's like 35 kilograms per hectare, three and a half grams, uh, 40 kilograms per hectare, something like that. It mm-hmm. it's, it's not a huge amount. Uh, and yet I was reading and I just flipped open. It's, it's not like I was searching for anything. I was just like, let me see what's, what's in this book. I flipped it open. I happened to, to be on the section on pythium root dysfunction and I went to management and maybe my eyes were caught uh, or attracted by seeing that it was about fertilizer and sand. <laughs> and here's the quote from, from the book. Creeping bent grass should be fertilized with four to six pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet annually. That's 195 to 292 kilograms per hectare. And then it went on in that same management section for this disease to say frequent cultivation. Cultivation means like aerification or, or uh, coring, any, anything that's breaking into the soil. It says frequent cultivation and top dressing are necessary, or, or sorry, are needed. In general, 15 to 20% of the putting green surface area should be impacted by hollow tine aerification annually and 5,000 pounds which is more than 2,000 kilograms or two tons of sand. 5,000 pounds of top dressing should be applied per thousand square feet each year. And that works out to be more than 15 millimeters of depth of sand. And I was so, going to ask if you knew the millimeters, which of course you do because uh, mm-hmm. you, you really do. But th- that's, yeah, that's a lot. It's, it's a lot. And, and yet... Um, so, so the part that surprised me was not so much that that was recommended. Uh, it was that it was recommended in a book that was published in 2023 because mm-hmm. I used to recommend nitrogen rates that were approaching that amount, um, may, not quite that high, but I would have recommended uh, three pounds or 150 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare, thinking that uh, that would be a reasonable amount. Um, and I definitely used to recommend that much coring and I used to recommend that much sand top dressing, but I stopped doing that, uh, about almost 10 years ago. Uh, and I was just surprised to see how persistent these standard recommendations are in the golf course, putting green turf grass management industry. And I don't know if, if you read that, would, would you be surprised as a, as a golf course superintendent uh, to be getting recommendations for that much N and for that much sand and for that much core cultivation? Yeah, that's, that seems like an awful lot. And, you know, of course, the context that I have at this moment is, is, you know, that I would apply and have applied much less than that. But um, it still seems like an awful lot. Like when I go back to my days as an assistant, you know, I think about the amount of nitrogen we'd put on a bent grass fairway in the summer, and it was maybe somewhere in that in that realm. But um, you know, that was that was almost twenty years ago that we were doing that, and you know, I don't I don't know anybody nowadays who really does it. So you know, I, two questions I would ask is you know how many people are doing those amounts, um, and 
answer would probably be not that many. But also, it's strange that a book like that is making such, um, what would be the word? Wrote? Would wrote be a good word in this case? Recommendations on, on management of creeping bent grass when, you know, um, yeah, it just seems like it, it's 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 different in these days and certainly that's not even getting into the context of what we're doing which is substantially different than those numbers and and that's that's kind of how the blog post uh moved along because uh as that blog post moved along uh i i kind of explained why that was what i was writing about this week uh in 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 the blog post because uh you you and I have had a long-running conversation about this. John Kaminsky's been involved, uh, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's just interesting. So let, let's go back to the let's go back to that blog post and see. Um, let's see. Can I bring that up? There we go. Uh, if we go back to that blog post, we'll get into that about how what you're doing is is different than this. Um, so basically, I. I think it's better to do a site-specific optimization, right? To try to figure out uh, how much nitrogen you should apply to produce good turf grass conditions at your site, and you should adjust the core cultivation, and you should adjust the sand top dressing to figure out how much is necessary so that you can maximize the number of days in the year with playing conditions at the desired level for a particular property. And... uh, I, I put a picture in there and I put this caption. I said, it takes a lot of applications through the year to apply 5,000 pounds of sand per thousand square feet. And it sure does. When when you start, mm-hmm. it's easy to write these numbers in a book. It's easy to make these recommendations as a consultant. I it, It's easy to stand up in a seminar and teach this kind of stuff. And I used to do that. I used to make these recommendations as a consultant and, and I used to teach seminars about organic matter management and say that you need to remove all the old material by coring, you know, 15 or 20% per year. If you do 20% per year, I used to say that works really good because over five years, you essentially completely rejuvenate. You completely replace your upper part of the profile because you're taking out the old material 20% per year and you're replacing it with clean sand. So over five years, you're essentially rejuvenating it. And I used to make those recommendations. I used to make the recommendations for all this sand. It's easy to make those recommendations. It's hard to do because when you start doing the math, you realize how can I punch that many holes and not destroy the greens for a huge portion of the year? And how can you put that much sand without without uh, disturbing the surfaces constantly. And, and it turns out, you, I, I don't think you can. And that's why I was surprised to see that standard recommendation. You said it's a rote recommendation. Um, and that, that's, I, I feel like there's another word. It, it's just so general because uh, mm-hmm. bent grass that's being grown in Augusta, Georgia, and bent grass that's being grown in Montreal, and bent grass that's being grown in London, England, and and bent grass that's grown in Moscow, Russia, and bent grass that's growing in Canberra, Australia, it, it should be different. So, so yeah. to make these 
these uh, species-specific recommendations. I don't think that's the modern way to do it because so many people are collecting data now about how much their grass is growing and and it just seems uh, it seems that we should be more site specific these days. So so I kind of concluded that section. <clears throat> I concluded that section of the blog post and I said uh, the question, of course, is whether that alternative method, the site specific method, works. And basically, I said, should a turf manager listen to the books? or listen to me. That's, that's what I, what I concluded that section with. Well, you know, I have a, a, a good story that sort of along these lines. So let me go back pre pre data collection from my standpoint. So that it doesn't go back very far. That goes back to 2016, which is the year we hosted the Ryder cup. And I recall being a little bit unhappy with the greens and you know, a little bit unhappy with that they were when it would when they would be wet or when we would have had a rainy period and i thought to myself oh that's nice to get the definitely you're you're in the morning here so you're still you're still working that i would imagine it takes a couple hours each day to work that mustache into prime condition yeah so for those of you listening and not watching you you'll you'll see i'm i'm just adjusting the the mustache curl um -hmm. because the uh, just with the way the light, I think it looks good in person, but with the way the light shining on the camera, it looks like there's a couple loose hairs there. <laughs> and so, um, it, by the way, in, in 2016, when you came over for the Ryder Cup, you had a fine uh, mustache going uh, for right. that period. That was that. It was. I had I had been in uh, Catalonia in the spring of 2016 and I had been to a place where Salvador Dali uh, had had done a lot of work and had a home and and it was mentioned to me while there that's like Micah maybe you could do a mustache like that and Mm -hmm. I thought you know maybe I could and so I set out to to try to achieve that and I think by the Ryder Cup it was in pretty good shape it was in quite very good shape as i as i recall it was it was quite the um yeah it was it was very nice so yeah okay so um, so back okay, to your so story to uh, and story. getting out the sand yeah. right yeah so you know in 2016 so i'm not quite happy with the surfaces and i think the way to solve this is to get as much sand on these greens between now and the time we host the event in september and it worked. The greens were very good, but what, what happened? Okay. So, so a person might say, well, that's great. You got your results. So, uh, you know, it worked and it, and that's justification for having done what you did. However, what I would say is the impact it had on our membership was very negative and people were, were not happy with the amount of sand that was on the grid. We're not happy that during the course of the season, that was going to be the early part of the season, a season, which was going to be very, Part as we got ready for the event, they were unhappy with the amount of sand on the green, and they always putting through sand and feeling like that was always disrupting their round. And in fact, at the end of the year, um, the, our our members have this party, and they kind of do a, a bit of a roast at the end of the year, and they find something that is that people have done during the year and a, a little bit roast worthy. And this particular year, 2016. They decided that my application of sand greens was worthy of a song, 
and the song they uh they had special words to the song um to the the tune of mr sandman and so i became known as mr sandman for a period of time around 2016 now again this was pre-data this was during it this was i wasn't collecting daily stint meter i wasn't collecting bobble test i wasn't measuring sand i wasn't measuring om246 so at that time i felt like the best thing i could do was to just put as much sand down as possible and again the results were very good you were there micah you saw them the greens were the greens were great so so in you know sort of standard golf course maintenance um way of thinking about things a person would say well so what you got your result but but the so what is that it was very disruptive to members they were very unhappy with it if we would have continued on that path for you know if that we had always done from then until now uh, you know i don't know that i would still be as welcomed as at uh at, in my job as i am am today so you know it's it's just an example of um Yes, that type of recommendation at some point in time is probably going to find you having a very, uh, an excellent surface. But um, I think we need to be thinking more about an excellent surface all the time rather than at just these, you know, certain points of the year, um, high points of the year, I guess you might say. So Mike is, this happened the last time we did a podcast. Mike's computer has frozen. I got through my anecdote. I looked up. I'm, you know, I was into telling my story, and I look up, and he's in the same pose as he was when I started telling my story. So, I don't, I don't know when we lost it. I don't know if this will stay in the podcast, but, you know, um, he'll be back. He's going to restart, uh, potentially retool, um, and he will come back online, and uh, we'll pick up from where we left off. I hope everybody's enjoying the soft lighting that I have here coming from the my right-hand side. Um, it's evening here in Minnesota. Usually when we do these uh, podcasts together, it's the opposite. I'm in the morning in my office. Mike is winding down his day, but uh, tonight it worked for us to do it opposite. Well, uh, I am back, Chris. Thanks for uh, putting up with the crash again. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm happy to you know fill in and uh, and do a little bit of uh, riffing, I guess, um, anytime, I guess. So you know. So did you finish your story about the the uh, I did, amount of I sand did finish that you put? my story. I had no idea where where you left off. I finished my story. So um, if you've gone back and edited this, you can listen to the end of the story, cut the the crash out, and then you know pick up pick up once you're back in. Okay. Back online. Well, I will. I will see how how we handle that. Uh, okay. So now for some backstory about this blog post. Uh, I I wrote the for, first part just saying I was so surprised to read that those recommendations in a book that was published in 2023 because although those type of recommendations to me seem uh, they're they're the same as the recommendations that I used to make. I don't know that I would, I, I definitely don't make those recommendations today. And as part of not making those recommendations today, I write and talk about this quite a bit um, uh, with, with people that I meet or uh, on, on the ATC website or, or so on. And 
there's that famous conversation that we had with uh, with John Kaminsky at at the Masters tournament, and uh, it it was about you, Chris. So I wanted to 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 have you on this episode also because you wrote on your Substack. I'll put a direct link to the Substack uh, to your Substack. In fact, there's a link in this blog post. You you said. Uh, you give it a title, at what point can we say this works? And this is something of like, you've been doing something different than what's in the book. So, so the book says, if you want good bent grass, if you want to prevent pythium root dysfunction, if you want to have greens that are firm enough, you need to do this, this, and this. You need to put this much in, you need to do this much cultivation, you need to put this much top dressing. You've been doing quite different than that for a number of years. And then people say, well, that could only work for a short time. It can't work forever. And then you put the post and you said, at what point can we say this works? And this is because it goes back to that conversation that we had with Dr. Kaminsky, um, where we asked him, what do you think about managing turf without doing this constant in-season uh, you know, addition of sand to bent grass. And he mm-hmm. said, well, it might work for one season. It won't work forever. Mm-hmm. So then I've listed in the blog post a number of things related to this, which include your blog post uh, or your Substack post. When can we say this works? And then uh, that there was an excellent Talking Greenkeeper podcast with John Kaminsky as a guest talking to the host, Joe Galati. And Joe started off that episode by asking him, hey, what's what's this all about? What was that conversation? And John gave a lengthy answer that I thought was a little bit uh, sliding, uh, sliding beside the actual point, not really, not really addressing exactly what that conversation was about. But I'll give him some credit for him, him saying he doesn't remember the conversation. Uh, and then... <laughs> uh, I talked with Joe Galati and I, I, he gave me a chance to talk for 10 minutes or so kind of explaining my side of it. So I think there's all kinds of backstory to this. And the reason why we keep talking about it again and again is not because we're trying to show that John Kaminsky is wrong. We're not trying to have an argument with him or something. It's because we think that this is such an exciting opportunity for turfgrass managers to have better turfgrass conditions and the the problem is it goes against what's in the textbooks and yeah. and that that's kind of I, I think for me why we want to or why I just keep talking about it again and again. Well, and you know I th- I think we've covered it in this way. I always try to think of a new way to like um you know explain to people why this is such a good thing. And and first of all, let me let me say I feel like I got to stick up for myself a little bit again. John's a you know, we both know John well, and and a lot of this is good natured. There's certainly, although a rivalry certainly sells, um, you know, airtime. Um, we, uh, you know, we have good natured conversations with John, and and he's a he's a good friend of, of both of ours. But, um, you know, what what I do want to stick up myself a little bit, and and maybe I have written that we've we don't airify, we don't talk to us, but I don't think that that's what I've written because. I tend to try to write the truth about things. And I would know that saying that we aren't doing these things would not be truth. And so that's that wouldn't be my intent to try to write and say, 
we don't top dress anymore, we don't airify anymore, because that's certainly not the case. We have done both and we do both. Um, but, you know, I, I also know, and this from speaking with colleagues, and from, you know, just paying attention to the industry, that there are many superintendents who, who wonder how they can find enough time to do the type of work that they need to do. And that becomes either a complaint or it becomes a concern. Um, you know, staffing is tight. Lots of people are playing golf post pandemic. Golf is very popular and, and some places are as busy as they've ever been or more busy than they've ever been. And so I know for some people and some counter, some of my counterparts and colleagues, they are finding it difficult to find the time to do these types of things. So I think what you and I are trying to say, Mike, is if you are, if you can collect the data, if you can really assess your situation, if you can, you can pay attention to your, 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 your playing conditions, you can probably do a lot less of these things that you think you have to do than you, than you feel you need to do. And that will give you time to do other things. It will give you, um, you know, it will give you opportunities and, and just basically like you can stop worrying about how do I, how do I get, you know, 15 millimeters of sand out during the course of a season? Cause that's, it's a lot of sand, you know, 15 millimeters is a, a centimeter and a half. That, that's, you know, that would that be somewhere near two thirds of an inch? It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's something near that. It's something. That's a lot that. of sand. That's yeah, a eight, lot of sand. 18 millimeters would be three fourths of an inch, I think. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so, that, there. so, you know, I think, I think that's, it, you know, and that's, that's what we're trying to convey is that, you you can do you can have excellent plane surfaces with a lot less than what is the, the the usual recommendation that is being made and that's the point we're trying to get across you know certainly not that you can stop doing any of these things right and and that, that's not and it. that's why it was it was both uh it, i was so glad when uh joe in his talking greenkeeper podcast when he had John as the guest and he started off with that question. I was so glad that they had that topic. And John mm -hmm. agreed with so much of this. He he said he, that he yep. he really supports what you're doing. He supports uh, my way of thinking about this. Of, and and mm -hmm. he said that's what he tries to teach. He said that's what Penn State tries to teach is to look at data, make decisions based on your site, and so on. So much of the stuff that John said was very complimentary and 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 he's in agreement with us, but he, he kept uh, seeming to suggest that you were trying to claim that you're doing great greens without sand and you're doing great greens without coring. And he went through and, and took the time to look at our office hours conversation mm -hmm. from last autumn. And he said, but wait, Chris showed a picture that showed he's got holes on in the green and he's putting a lot of sand. And, and, uh, and when he talked about what he did year after year, he was putting sand and he was he was punching holes almost every year. So maybe what he's doing is not that far out of the ordinary. That's what John was trying to suggest. And he so he's like he was like saying what what Chris is doing is is not so far out of the ordinary. And and I and yet I support the idea, but don't think that what he's doing is so different. But mm -hmm. I think it's it's important to point out that what you're doing is appreciably different from what we find in in this book, the Compendium of Turfgrass Diseases, fourth edition. And in fact, I've got another book that I took off my shelf, which John's a co-author on the uh, 
turf, turf grass management, uh, Turgeon and Kaminsky, and I opened to the section on on sand top dressing, and and uh, I confirmed that what this book is recommending also, in fact, uh, uh, I'll read that, and it, it says, okay, the total amount of sand used during a growing season as top dressing applied to the surface and to fill the holes resulting from hollow tine cultivation should be at least... 12 to 15 millimeters. Okay, so so it's in this book too. This book was published in, uh, this is an autographed copy. Thank you, John, if you're, if you're listening. <laughs> this is 2019. So um, I, I just want to, to say from my side that I'm familiar with what these standard recommendations are are and Dr. Kaminsky is familiar with what these standard recommendations are and and the quantities of sand and the quantities of cultivation that you're doing is a fraction of this. So even though you're still doing it you're you're doing a fraction of what's being recommended. And I think that's that's important to point out because otherwise everybody feels guilty. They they would feel guilty that they're not doing what they've been taught. They're not doing what what they think they're supposed to do. Well, I mean, just another anecdote, and this comes from an interaction you and I had and I had back in, I think, 2014 or 2015, and this has nothing to do with sand, but this was potassium, and at that time, I was sort of, uh, you know, working from a recommendation that had been given to me by a, a consultant, and I was applying a lot of potassium, and I was applying a certain, you know, trying to get a pound of potassium out every time we got a one-inch rainfall, something like that. And I remember it was like chasing our tail because in Minnesota, it can oftentimes rain more than an inch quite often in the summer. Uh, a thunderstorm comes and it would be put an inch out and then, you know, two days later, get another inch. And now you got to put another one out. You're trying to keep up with these amounts. And, and that to me, that experience and that memory of doing that to me reminds me much of this, you know, this idea of get that much sand out there. You just feel like, you can't catch up. You don't have enough time to do it. You know, you're, you're trying to split the difference between let me get a, a big amount out so I can get to my total that I want, or let me put out an amount that's small enough for, uh, you know, so that the golfers won't recognize it. So you're always trying to like thread this needle of just enough to, you know, enough to do what we, what's going to, that something that's going to make a difference for our totals and not enough that the golfers are really going to be affected by it. So, you know, what I'm trying to say, what we're trying to say is, hey, you know, it is possible to have really great kids without having to thread that needle. Put it down once a year, twice a year, three times a year, whatever that number had, but it doesn't need to be every week. It doesn't need to be every other week and you can have great greens. So, yeah. Um, I, and just to put the numbers in context, so, um, uh, that turfgrass management book is recommending uh, 12 to 15 millimeters of sand. And, and you, for the past few years, have been applying in the range of three to four millimeters of sand. Right. So you're a basically, quarter to a basically you're applying 20 or 25% of the recommended amount. Mm -hmm. And, and I think 
um, and I think for for any facility, maybe they can get away with applying 10% of the recommended amount. Maybe mm-hmm. they need to apply 150% of the recommended amount. And that's where John was saying, by taking these measurements and by by making decisions based on how the turf and soil is performing at your location and what the playability is at your location, you're able to find out how much you should be putting at your place. But I think because the standard recommendations are so high, and in turfgrass, a lot of things, the recommendations have been so high. You brought up the the uh, idea of potassium recommendations being so high. Yeah. Um, I'm going to recommend MLSN, uh, the minimum <laughs> levels for sustainable nutrition, uh, as a way to get away from from those outrageous those outrageously high recommendations where the soil can't even hold uh, that many nutrients. And I call MLSN a modern method for turf grass soil test interpretation because it's based on preventing nutrient deficiencies, um, but not on trying to build up the soil to levels that the soil can't possibly hold. Anyway, there's there's recommendations for things in turf grass that just persist, right? So there's those high nutrient levels. There's the relatively high nitrogen that was in that uh, turf grass disease book, uh, mm-hmm. that recommendation. Uh, and then these high amounts of sand and, and coring that it's, it's based on research that was done 20, 20 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. It's not the way grass needs to be managed today. And that's why I just want to, I just keep stressing it that, uh, be aware that maybe the the textbooks are wrong sometimes and mm-hmm. and the only way to tell if the textbook is wrong is you have to observe carefully the grass at your location let your grass talk to you and uh and then for you to understand the grass because grass doesn't talk uh but the numbers talk the the clipping volume how much the grass is growing that talks the change in soil nutrient levels that talks to you um the playability, the the green speed, the bobble test, that that's a way that the grass can talk to you if you're listening. The only way for you to listen is to collect those data. And I think I'm just so excited about this as a nice, logical, fun way to manage turf grass and to still use the fundamentals that come from the textbooks, the fundamental standard recommendations. Use that as a starting point and then adjust it based on on how we need to produce the surfaces at our mm-hmm. places. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you used a great word, which is fun. I mean, to me, this is a really fun way to do it. And I, I'm not doing it because it's fun. I'm doing it because it's producing great results. And of course, it's fun to have your golfers come back and say, wow, the results are, you know, what we're experiencing every day from the day we open to the day we close is just wonderful. That's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of to, uh, you know, to collect this information, to put it into, you know, a spreadsheet and, and look at uh, a chart and and to then make decisions based on that chart and to, to you know, it's to find out that you can manage really great greens with seven tenths of a pound or three quarters of a pound of nitrogen per year when in the past you've used two. I mean, those are, um, you know, that's not, that's not budget-breaking numbers. You know, people, no, no, that's a small amount of nitrogen on relatively small area. That's not going to, you know, make or break somebody's budget, but, um, it, uh, 
you know, it's, it's, it's nice to do the least amount of po least amount possible to get the best possible conditions is the way I like to think about it. Yeah. That, that, that allows you to use the resources effectively in the most recent episode. I was talking with a golf course superintendent from her solid golf in Finland. His name is Yane Leto. And he mentioned that, well, I mean, we were talking about robotic automowers that now uh, they have an entire fleet for fairways and 75% and of the rough uh, is, is mown with those mowers. And he talked about how they improve the turf conditions. And it, it wasn't only that the automowers themselves through their, their clean cut and kind of constantly keeping the grass at the same height has led to improved. Con they said the fairway conditions are the same as when they were mm -hmm. cutting with real mowers two or three times a week. And the rough conditions are considerably better because there's less grass clippings. Basically there's, mm -hmm. there were grass clippings in the rough before now there are none. And the rough mm -hmm. is just so consistent and there's improved density, uh, of the primarily poa pretensis rough. And, but he said, it's not just that, that it's improved turf conditions, it, that it, it frees up the staff to now they can go do verticutting more. They can go uh, detail the bunkers more. They can do all kinds of work uh, because they're reallocating those resources. And I always feel like, why do I need to explain something so obvious that doing, spending less money in one area or doing less work in one area is not about doing less work. It's not about reducing the amount of money you spend. It's about being efficient so that you can then buy more wetting agent or make more frequent soil surfactant applications. Uh, I, I should substitute soil surfactant instead of wetting agent to be uh, more, more accurate. Um, or, or maybe, I mean, there's just, there's so many things things that can be done, whether it is labor reallocation, allocation of working hours, or things that will have an impact on improving turf quality that you can, you can spend money on. So I think, I think that's kind of, uh, obvious, but some people seem to think, Oh, that's how it works. <laughs> so, so I will, I will mention that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've made a great point. I mean, we've, we've both seen pictures of or videos of you know a monday where where somebody is verticutting and it involves you know three or four people blowing afterwards blowing the greens off and cleaning that all up and you know at the same time we maybe it's not the same person but you know generally in the industry we're all talking about how much work bunkers are and how much time we have to spend in bunkers that's certainly for us um you know imagine if on a monday you don't have to have three to four people blowing your verticutting mess off a green and you you can put, you know, detailing bunkers or, or something of that nature. It's, it's, you're right, Mike. I mean, it's pretty easy to, to think of ways to, to spend that money differently. And, um, you know, again, uh, I don't think we're doing anything early. Um, we both have been in situations where we have people come up to us and say, God, this is the way I've been managing for, for our numbers. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm yet to have somebody who tells me they're managing like that and they say something like, you know, but I'm really thinking about changing because it's really not working out that well for me. Um, you know, so there are people out there, you know, and I don't want to say that uh, uh, we're doing something that nobody's doing or that, that isn't, uh, isn't already happening, but um, I think it's just trying to help 
you know, those who maybe need a little push or, you know, are, are or those who are already doing it and are interested in it and are interested in doing it better. Yeah. And we, we just put like a, a framework to it. Like MLSN is, is so simple. And a lot of mm-hmm. people, they're like, you know what, that's how I've been thinking about fertilization for, for my whole career. And mm-hmm. I've heard this from professors also saying, this is what I've been teaching for 20 or 30 years. Uh, and all MLSN did is just formalize a way mm-hmm. to think about it and say, okay, here's some exact numbers that we're going to use to apply this approach. And here's the, the way that we think about it. Boom. And we'll give it a name. Uh, that's all that is. And clipping volume is the most okay. simple thing possible. And, and is, is this something that's new? Of course not. I mean, there's the, there's the episode of uh, Dave Wilbur's uh, turf grass zealot project where he was talking um, with another uh, longtime superintendent and they, they both said, you know, this is nothing new. We've, we've been checking the clippings, uh, you know, for, for decades and that's mm-hmm. true. Everybody does it, but to actually measure it, all this does is just formalizes just a little bit. It just takes one more step. It formalizes it uh, to measure the number and then share that information and say, here's what seems to be normal. Here's the amount of growth that, that, that people are getting. So all of these things, um, like like the stint meter measurement, people have been doing that since the late 1970s. Uh, bobble test. Everybody, they're always like, "Well, I I don't use the bobble test. I just I just hit a few putts and I watch the quality of the roll." Everybody's already doing all of these things, and it's not uh, it's not that we're doing anything that is so innovative. It's just mm-hmm. we're in a position to talk about it. We're in a position to write about it. We we enjoy writing and talking about this and trying to organize our thoughts. And for me, it's also because I used to make those recommendations myself. I, I used to say, you don't need to do the bobble test. You should put this much sand. You should put this many holotine uh, holes. I, I said, you don't need to measure the clippings. You could, should just put this much nitrogen based on growth potential or something. You know, based on temperatures at your site, just put the nitrogen by this schedule and that will give you healthy grass. And because I've changed my thinking and I found it, it helpful for me, I feel like it's my job uh, to, to share that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, or certainly something that I enjoy sharing. Well, it's, and a, then, it's a good... Go ahead. And, and I was just going to say, uh, because those standard recommendations remain in, in the textbooks mm-hmm. um, and the standard recommendations remain in the disease books, uh, in, in the, because what I'm recommending now is considerably different. So in your case, I use the number of 25%, 20 or 25%, where you're applying uh, sand at, at a fraction of the rate, you're applying nitrogen at a fraction of the rate that's recommended because what I'm recommending now is so different from what's in the textbooks. I also feel like there's a bit of a calling to put, uh, put that difference out there. I I want to make sure that people are clear about, uh, what I'm recommending is, is a little bit different than what you find in the textbooks which I'm so happy to buy those books. It's money well spent. I recommend that other people buy those books too, but keep up to date on, on what you really need to do at your facility. 
Well, I think along those same lines, my, my experience has been, which I shared with that, that story from 2016, my experience has been that I, I at one time was sort of doing it, maybe not those textbook recommended ways, but something closer to that. When again, I thought, you know, just the more sand you put out, the better the greens are going to be. And, and we were getting a negative, we're getting negative feedback from that. We've changed. We've we and and the feedback has improved. I mean, that to me is, you know, if, if nothing else, that's, you know, to get that consistent feedback of the greens are great every single day, um, is is worth you know that's worth exploring no matter what you know no matter what uh, type of facility you're at. So yeah, that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm about ready to close. Uh, and I'll just say one more anecdote along those lines. And I've heard that from you for a couple of years now, is that you're telling me the member feedback that you've been getting uh, has just been superb. And it's stuff like these greens are the best that they've ever been. The greens this season were the best of any season. And, and that that kind of thing. And and. It's, it's anecdote because the weather changes year by year and golfer assessments of playability and, and, and course appearance may be affected by, by many things that, that are different from what the actual conditions are. And mm-hmm. also, um, the, the way that you manage the technology, the, the technology that you, that you have available, the qual, the, the, uh, the staff uh, working ability as, as they get trained more and then the staff are probably working better and better. The machinery is better and better. There's all kinds of things that could be affecting the, the, the conditions that are, that are not related to the sand and the MLSN and all of that stuff. Okay. So, so I, I qualify these anecdotes by saying it, it may not be only because of, of, of these things. However, I hear that from you and I've heard it from multiple golf course superintendents in multiple countries with multiple grass types and multiple climates. And it's also even to the point of this particular green is shaded uh, in the winter time. It typically doesn't get sun for four months. We've in the past had to close it and use a temporary green. However, after implementing these types of what I call the grammar of green keeping approach, which is all these things, measuring the growth rate and uh, being conscientious about how much sand you're applying based on total organic material in the soil and stuff like that. So applying this grammar of green keeping approach, MLSN for nutrients and so on. And people are like, now we don't have to go on a temporary, this, this green, we always had to resod some of it in the spring. Now it's a hundred percent grass cover and, and the same recurring refrain coming from customers of these greens are the best that they've ever been. And, and that's all anecdote, but man, what an anecdote that is to hear. I mean, what, that's exactly what we want to hear as, as turf grass managers, or in my case, as a, as an advisor to, to many turf grass managers. Yeah. I mean, in the end, it's, it's all about that end result. And again, we've said it over and over, you can get there by doing a a lot or doing a little. And I guess I would always spread towards doing, getting there by doing a little. So. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me here on the 
ATC Double Cut, I we we've had you on so many shows, and you've often been on Office Hours. So I was going to say thanks, thanks for joining me on the Office Hours. This was the Double Cut, so so thank you. Uh, again, you've got your excellent Substack newsletter that that uh, I'm going to put a direct link to, and I suggest uh, that people subscribe to that. You put good stuff out there. Um, anything else you want to recommend before we? Uh, no, I have, well, I have a couple speaking events coming up. I will be at the Ontario Golf Superintendents Association show in Niagara Falls, um, talking about data collection and, and, uh, leadership and life balance, um, talk. I'll be giving, uh, the same two topics, talks on the same two topics at the, uh, the BTME in, uh, Harrogate, um, in the week after that, the week after I'm in Ontario, and then I'll be at, uh, the G conference and trade show in phoenix uh giving um talks on the same so if you're if you're going to be at those shows i hope to catch up with you and if you have a chance or the interest to take in any of those uh taking any of those talks I, I hope that you will yeah that's that's good i i am looking forward to that and i i i won't be at any of those three events but i hope uh that at uh, after you participate in them, you will uh, maybe write about it on your Substack uh, yeah. and and maybe share. Yeah, I always I'm always intrigued by what questions people ask or or what some of the discussions that happen live mm -hmm. at these events um, where we learn. Even though there are prepared remarks, there's uh, prepared uh, slides and remarks that you want to convey information that you want to get across. Uh, much of the interest of, of getting together at these events is, is the things that you learn through the discussions. So, um, I'm, I'm personally looking forward, even though I can't attend any of those, uh, hearing, hearing about them and hearing what you learned. Yeah. It might be fun to write a little bit about some of the commentary that I get from people either. Hey, I've done this and it, it's, I'm doing something similar and it's not working for me or just, you know, some of the good questions that people ask almost like a, like an FAQ that comes from these talks. So, yeah, that maybe gave me an idea of something to do afterwards. So Very something to good. think about. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate you joining the show. And I uh, have a feeling that you'll be back <laughs> before too well, long. Well, you know, I, that's like Don Rickles. He was always, uh, they always knew he was going to be back. So, you know, I, uh, I, I have a feeling I will be back again soon. Good. All right. Well, thank, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye. Thank and, you. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll sign off now for ATC from Trung. I'm Michael Woods. Bye-bye.